0: Hello, and welcome to I Am Dad podcast with your fatherhood authority, Kenneth Braswell. 30 minutes of wisdom, information, resources, and nuggets to help you on your fatherhood journey. Or maybe you're just curious and want to hear some real talk about fatherhood, family, and the minds of men. Well, guess what? We got you too. Sit back, grab your pad and pen, and maybe even bring a little something to sip on. Enjoy 30 straight minutes of fatherhood, family, and fun with the Fatherhood Authority. Kenneth Braswell.
1: Welcome to I Am Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell. As we continue to expand our conversation of responsible fatherhood, I continue to bring you the brightest, the best, the most passionate, um, people with integrity, people with great spirit, with all the things necessary to talk about this thing we call fatherhood. And for this week I reached deep into my bucket of wisdom and wealth and I brought you, and I'm bringing you someone all the way from the West Coast my good friend Jerry Theo. and he is going to talk to us today about fatherhood and Latino heritage. And so let me introduce Jerry to you today. He is a father, grandfather, a son, a brother, and relative to many, he is from a Mexican family, Texan family, and I know y'all don't know what that word means. Look it up, I'll spell it for you at some point. Uh, But he has all of those roots, but check this out. He was raised in South Central Compton area of LA. I know y'all know where that is. For the last 40 years, he has dedicated himself to the service of individuals, families, communities, he has done so by speaking to over half a million people and training thousands of service providers across the nation. Mr. Théo is considered an international expert in the areas of transformational healing, men and boys of color, racial justice, and community peace and mobilization. He's also the co-founder of the National Compadres Network and is the current director of training and capacity building. He has authored numerous articles videos and curricula addressing fatherhood youth rights of passage culturally based family strengthening and healing the healer he is an author of recovering your sacredness a father's love a series of children's books he's also the co-editor of family violence and men of color He has served as a Principal Consultant for Scholastic Books on International Bilingual Literacy Curriculum and has published a series of Motivational Health and Healing CDs. How are you doing today?
2: (laughs) Real good brother, good to be with you and uh, even virtually just to see you, you know, it's uh, it's always uh, a joy and a pleasure. Uh, when we are able to uh to connect in whatever whatever we can because you know a lot of your work and my work run parallel. You know, we are we're reaching deep into our own experience and our own life to uh to make lives better. And that's that's what it's about. So it's
1: a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you so much. I um every time I see you I just my heart jumps. I have a picture that I I stroll through this album and I crossed this picture. Um frequently and it was a picture of um you and I and then you and your son in front of the White House some oh, years for yeah, the yeah, yeah. champion of change and every time I see that picture I'm like man I love this guy mm. and so I was telling someone about you at some point and I don't know if you've noticed I've begun to start wearing hats and I'm gonna <laughs> get it <laughs> and someone said to me oh you've never been a big hat where or why are you wearing a hat? And this was right after I had seen you somewhere else we were. I don't remember where we were, but you were telling the story again. And I said, I've heard Jerry tell this story about his dad and his hat time and time again. But for some reason, when I heard it that day, something resonated with me, which was something that I can actually do to leave my children. And I have seven, six of them. Right. And I was like, you know, I'll probably be able to leave them a little coin and then leave them some wisdom and some other things. But I'm gonna start doing something. I'm gonna start wearing hats. Mm-hmm. And I said so that when it's my time and they come into my room and open my closet in my closet is several boxes of hats and they're going to be told to go into that closet and grab one of the hats that resonates them the resonates with them the most and brings the most memories to them mm. and that's my gift you know to them and that was stimulated by your story mm. and so you see me lately I'm wearing a bucket hat I got my fedoras now I got this I'm glad and I'm really feeling that hat so tell me Talk, tell me that story again so everyone can hear it, and then we'll get into the other stuff. But mm-hmm. I just think that story is so critical.
2: You know, uh, thank you for that. And, uh, you know, it, it it reminds me, you know, my father was, uh, you know, he's from, uh, he actually was raised and, and born and raised in a place called Yanawana, we call San Antonio, Texas. So my dad was a Texan. Uh, he's also Mexican and, and native. Uh, But, you know, at that time, you couldn't say that He couldn't say that because, you know, the discrimination against Native people Even discrimination against Mexicans So he's called himself a Texan Mm-hmm. And my father was the kind of man that was a loud talking man. He just talked loud. Hey, come here! What's the matter? You Get over here! You know, he just talked loud all the time. My friends would go, you're a man? I said, no, that's the way he talks all the time, dude, you know. <laughs> um, but my father was loud talking man. And and, and uh, But one of the fascinating things for me about my dad, you know, because as kids, you look up at your parents and 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 notice certain things. And one of the things I noticed is that my dad would not leave the house without putting a hat on, you know, and, you know, we grew up in Compton, we grew up in Watts, grew up in that area. So, and, you know, I didn't know we were poor, but we were, we didn't have a lot. And, and you know, we had one good outfit for Sunday to go to church, but the rest were working stuff. And my dad worked two jobs. he He worked a lot. So, some of the hats that he wore, you know, they, they had holes and stains and, you know, working hats, you know. But I, I remember my daddy would not leave the house, you know, not leave the house with putting the hat on. But he had a way of putting that hat on. You know, he just, he, he, you don't just plop a hat on, right? My daddy would get the hat and he put it on like this. And then, I don't know how, but he'd go like that. And he'd do like that, right? Mm-hmm. And it seemed like when my daddy put that hat on, like he grew like he got bigger, you know. I thought he was like six foot two, you know, like five six. But to me, when my father put that hat on, it's like this big man, you know. Mm-hmm. And but one of his rules was don't mess with my hats. You know? <laughs> so, so we didn't mess with his hats, you know. But I was always fascinated with his hats, you know. But but one day, you know, one day uh, uh my mom was cooking, uh cooking breakfast, and my dad was in the shower, and and my mom said. Uh, um, Go tell your daddy breakfast is ready. And and so I walked in to his to the bedroom and the shower the, the bathroom was right there and I could hear my daddy, you know, in the shower singing. You know, he thought he could sing a little bit and and he was in there singing. And and you know, I had this little squeaky voice, you know. And and I and, and one of the things that, that I admire about my dad is his his, his uh, deep strong voice too. And I and I was a little kid. I had a little squeaky voice. I had a little you know a little old squeaky mouse kind of voice. And I man, how do I get a voice like him? But anyway, so I go in there and 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 he's in the shower. And I said, "Daddy, Mama says breakfast is ready. Mama says breakfast is ready. All right, I'll be right there." Right, you know. And and I turn around, and right there on the bed was one of my dad's hats. I said, oh, dude, I'm going to try it on. He can't catch me. He's in the shower. <laughs> maybe if I put this hat on, you know, maybe my voice will get deeper. Maybe I'll get bigger because I was a little skinny kid. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, you know. Uh, and so I, I, I grabbed one of his hats. I grabbed one of his hats, and, and, and I tried to do just like he did because that's what kids are. They watch their dads, and they do just like they do, good or bad. You know, positive what they do just like what they see, mm-hmm. and so I got my daddy's hat and I put it on my head like that and kind of licked my fingers like that and did like this and looked in the mirror and I didn't get no bigger, <laughs> <laughs> my voice didn't get no deeper, no. and 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 what I what I didn't realize, till many years later, my dad uh, died when I was when I was thirteen. And uh, which, which brought a whole different experience to me, you know, um, because as a boy in, in Compton, especially because of the neighborhood, because of, you know, the, the, the you know, you having to to front up just to get to school and not so much from the friends, but from the cops and from the teachers, you had to act like you knew something or were about something because the, the you know, the teachers would mess with you and the, and and the cops would mess with you, and the store owners would mess with you. So you you pretended like you weren't feeling nothing, right? And you learned you learned you know I'm not feeling nothing. And so um, you know, and and uh, so I remember when my father died, uh, um, I didn't cry. Mm. You know, I didn't know how to cry, right? And I remember my best friend. One of my best friends came. Hey man, I'm sorry your dad died. Oh man. You know what? That's the way it is. You know, I kind of played it off. Oh, that's your dad, man. You know, he was sick anyway. It's probably better, you know, and inside I'm hurting, but I don't know how to express that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't, I don't know how to share that. Right. And, uh, and so he tried to help me out, you know, by doing what he saw other men do when they were hurting. He says, man, uh, let's go to my house. You know, I'll sneak in the, the the kitchen. My dad's got a 40 in there. Let's go drink it because that's what he saw other men do, right? Mm. He was trying to help me out. You know, he knew I was hurting. I didn't know how to express it. So, so we went to his house. We drank that 40. and I was like 13, drank that 40, and, and came, you know, and later on, I came back home. And when I came back home, I saw my dad's hat. Mm. And I picked it up, and I picked it up, because I said, you know, and, and again, trying to be hard. Shit, this is my hat now. He can't look at me. He can't scold me. He can't get mad at me. You know, I can wear all these hats I want. And I picked up his hat and it was heavy, heavier than I thought. And I said, well, what's in it? And I turned it over and inside my daddy's hat were all of our names, Mm -hmm. all of his kids' names. And what I didn't realize until I was 13, that every time he walked out that house to do that work, to cut that lawn, to fix that car, to work that second job, it was for us. Mm. And at 13, the hat didn't fit. And what I realized is, who's going to teach me Mm. how to wear a hat? Who's going to teach me how to clean a hat? Who's going to teach me how to, you know, uh, uh, tilt a hat? Because the one that's supposed to teach me is gone. Mm -hmm. Right? And and I believe that began my journey uh, to wanting to guide,
1: you know, young men on how to be fathers. Who's going to teach them? Yeah, that's where I'm glad you walked right into where I was going because I wanted to ask you whether or not that was the major influence for you getting into this work. Talk about that early journey, walking into wanting to play that particular role, which is I want to now be the one who teaches. Yeah. Well, you know,
2: um, I mean, I think it's a lifelong journey, but. But, you know, I went on to. uh uh you know, to go to school and the reason, you know, let me, I'll be real. I didn't like school. School was boring to me. They didn't teach me nothing about my people. It, didn't, it wasn't relevant. I didn't understand how algebra two is going to help me in terms of, you know, you know, making money or business. I didn't understand any of that. And, um, and, you know, and, and, and to be real, you know, I could, some of the teachers didn't like me. You know, I, I was a, I was a younger brother of an older brother that was pretty tough and caused a lot of problems. So by association, they didn't like me.
1: Mm-hmm. But
2: but, you know, me and my friends, you know, my African-American friends, we used to hang out together. And because I hung with them, you know, and some of them were were, were struggling too. you know, you you get that association. But so so um, part of my dilemma in, in growing up is I wanted to figure out you know why there was all this pain cuz i saw a lot of also saw a lot of pain in, in community you know gang violence and all kinds of stuff and and but i really went to school for my mother to make my mother proud and 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 i went on to to, to get a you know degree in in psychology and all of that but but uh, one of the things that that really um bothered me as i began working in communities is you know um the, the, the men that would come, you know, that they would send to me because of whatever reason, child abuse, domestic violence, everything, black and brown men. And, and I noticed that that there was no really no treatment for them. They would lock them up, they would, they would, you know, violate them on probation and and basically punish them. They wanted to punish, not to heal.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: They wanted to punish, not teach. Right. And 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 I got tired of seeing people that I was working with all of a sudden didn't show up to the next phone because they were locked up, and not because they did anything wrong, is because they didn't have money to pay to to get to the probation officer's office to make their appointment. So they violated him, and now the dude's locked up, mm-hmm. right? And and he couldn't pay his child support, not because he didn't want to, but because you know he didn't he wasn't making enough money. Mm-hmm. And so he get violated, and he couldn't see his kids, and because of that, now he's drinking because he's so sad, you know. And, and it just bothered me, man. I'm saying, damn, you know. Um, so uh, in 1988, uh, being very frustrated, and 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 to be real, the other part of it was, you know, some of the men that I was seeing were being domestically violent uh, in their in their relationships, and and deep down, it said they look like me. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Why are my people hurting my people? Why are we hurting our women? Why are we hurting our children?" Right. Later on, I, you know, I began to understand, you know, the, the, you know, the the impetus of that of that wound, you know, hurt people hurt people, and and you know, when you don't know how to deal in relationships and you're frustrated, then you know, you, you lash out, and it's not an excuse. It's just that's the process. But there was no services for them, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so I called to all the other uh, men that I knew that were working whether it to be social workers or teachers or advocates or whatever together so we could develop some programs we came together in 1988 um for a retreat and and I'll just be real with you you know um at the bottom of the flyer because we didn't have no email so you just put a flyer and send flyers to folks right and I you know we you know it's to people that I knew and friends and I put, but I knew my people so I put at the bottom of the flyer no alcohol no drugs right because <laughs> I know if we start drinking we ain't, we ain't, we ain't doing I no kind drunk. of business right? <laughs> and, and some of my friends call me dude the whole weekend we ain't going to drink like how about after the meeting no fool we can't can I leave bring a sick no dude we can't because if we start we're not going to you know and I also know you know the reality so so, so some of my friends they wouldn't come. They didn't. Come. I can go a whole damn weekend without dress. Crazy, you crazy? <laughs> you getting too 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 educated, whatever. But nineteen men showed up. Nineteen men showed up, and um, and we began, you know, uh, kind of a a discussion starting out with who are you? Because some of the guys didn't even know each other, and and to be honest, some of the guys were were were, were from neighborhoods before, you know, now doing work. And, and and neighborhoods that were warm before, but now we're trying to do some work too. So, so there was a little tension in the room. So let's say, let's get to know each other. And and we went around Who are you? What's your intention for being here? And the second brother in began to share why he was here. Of course, you know to help the, you know uh, the community. But then he shed some deep. He says, "Man, um, what I'm really struggling with, I'm losing my family." And he's this this dude's this dude's a PhD. Mm-hmm. psychologist. Right? So he gives service and he says, you know, um, I don't know how to love my wife. I don't know how to love my kids because um, uh, I didn't have a dad. And, uh, and the other thing, and then, then, then he dropped the bomb. He says, you know, and I am going to say something I've never said to nobody, especially in front of men, uh, but I was abused as a kid. And he began to cry. Mm-hmm. Now back in 88 to see a uh, uh, you know a man cry like that it was like what's going on? i mean the only time we saw you know us cry is it, at a funeral or uh, we were too drunk we started you know hey man I love you. Yeah, you know, yeah yeah yeah. But, but 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 straight up sober open we never saw that you know and so when he began to cry it's like whoa but then he began this deep cry where you, know, where, where you see guys cry where you can't talk like, man, yeah. you, know, it's, it, and you could feel it deep. And when he cried that deep, it touched us all. Mm-hmm. And then we began to share at a deeper level. And what we realized when we went around that room as, as you know, black, brown, indigenous men, is that we had bought a lie. And the lie was just get your education, get your degree, you know, get your house, get your car, and everything would be fair and equal.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: didn't realize that we hadn't dealt with the the, the, the years of racism, the weird years of oppression, mm-hmm. what we had seen our dads go through, our moms go through, what our community still go through, even though we were professional now.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We realized that we were still all jacked up. And so some of us were drinking, some of us were working too much, some of us were, you know, whatever we were doing, that wasn't healthy for our families. Mm-hmm. And even though we were doing intervention, we didn't know how to be honorable men and honorable fathers. Right. And, and, and on that day in 1988, we made a, a, a commitment. That the most revolutionary thing we could do was to heal up and to reclaim a sense of sacredness in manhood that indigenous black brown men had. Because then I began to remember the honorable men in my community. In Compton, there were honorable men there that worked hard, that raised good families, went to church on Sunday. And even though they didn't have a lot, man, they, they you know, whatever they wore, they wore it good. They had one hat. They got one good hat. You know, they we, we would iron our pants, even though we only had one good, but we would iron those suckers. We would polish those shoes, you know. I mean, you make yourself, I mean, so then I began realize, you know what? We do have Honor and sacredness in our, in our in our families and and there are men that are good that have been good even in, in compton, even in Watts, even in Brooklyn, even in Jersey, wherever they're there It's mm-hmm. just a, nobody recognizes us mm-hmm. you know the ca- I thing, that journey,
1: you know yeah, the crazy thing is when you um because well I was going to go a whole different direction, but you've shifted me to dig into another and I'll bring you back and we'll talk specifically about. Um, the nuances of responsible fatherhood as it relates to Latino families, I think that Mm -hmm. that needs to be its own subject matter in and of itself. Uh, But I want to stay in here because you just said something about um, that resonated with me with a couple of slides that I have in one of our curriculums where I have a slide with a bunch of old TV dads in there, all of the old <laughs> guys. And yeah. I always ask them, like, what resonates with you when you see these guys? And, you know, guys, oh, I remember Fred Sanford or James mm-hmm. Evans or George Lopez, or Do they right, remember yeah. all those guys. Yeah. And then the second slide that I pull up has Don Carleon, Tony Soprano, mm. um, Homer Simpson, uh, uh Lucius from Empire, Ghost from, you know, all of these like these dudes, right? And I was like, what's the difference between these fathers and those fathers? Mm. And then people start to describe their life. And I said, that's not my question. I didn't ask you about their careers and how they make their money and how they, my question was, what's the difference between these fathers and those fathers? Because if you follow their TV or movie character, the one place where you, where you see the good in them is when they're engaged as a father. Right. right. If you think about the godfather, for as yeah. much as what the colion family was, his love for his three sons and his family was yeah. undeniable in right. that. And so if you translate that into the guys that you're talking about and the guys that you and I work with each and every day and trying to figure out how to tap into the good in who they are to make that a priority over all the other things, that's part of the journey, but where I want you to pick this conversation up in at is what you talked about is this notion of this individual crying, and then the what comes next, and the what comes next is the thing that I think I've heard you speak about the most, and it is that need to heal. Hmm. So, why is that so important? When dealing with men in particular, that we find ways to get them to understand the importance of them healing before they try to be whole.
2: Mm. Well, you know, I, I <clears throat> the reality is that that um you know trauma that is not transformed gets transferred. And 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 either, I mean, and, and it gets transferred in a lot of ways. You know, we, we just experienced a pandemic, you know, that that really uh, devastated, especially, you know, in Black and Brown and Indigenous communities. But 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 one of the things, you know, that I remember during that time, you know, around the same age, is in the community, uh, you know, there, there in Compton and Watts, it was called the Watts riots the Watts blowouts that were happening, right? All kinds of stuff. And, and they sent National Guard in. Uh, there was a National Guard tank on the corner of my house, right? And, um, and you know, my, my friend Tyrone came to pick me up for school. We were walking to school, and we walked back by the, the National Guard, and one of the National Guard got his AK-47, you heard him, right? And we, like, tightened up, like, dude, whoa, 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 whoa what, what's up here, Right. And then he said, should I, we go to school? Yeah. My, my mom said, we got to go to school. Yeah, but this fool's right here by the house, man. Should we, you know, but, but we were like, oh, you know, and, and we walked to school. And as we walked to school, we're thinking about, you know, what's up with this dude? Is he going to, you know, what, what's going to happen? And we get to school. I remember that day, you know, I, I, I was very nervous. You know, I was real tight. My leg was shaking. You know, I couldn't learn nothing that day. I couldn't wait to leave school to go home, you know, mm-hmm. and, and what I, and that night I didn't sleep real well. You know, interrupted my sleep, uh, um, my breathing. You know, uh, all kinds of stuff. And what I didn't understand till till you know more recently is that when you're in fear, um, when you're in stress, when you're in trauma, your body inflames. Mm -hmm. Your body inflames in order to protect your organs, right? So you're tight, you're tense. You know, you you react, you do all that. What's supposed to happen when you when 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 uh, when the stress and the trauma uh, and the danger goes away, your body is supposed to return to normal, right? Breathe normal, the inflammation goes down, all that stuff. How about if it never goes down? How about if the trauma never stops? You always stay tight, right? And that's what trauma is, that if you never heal, you're always tight. You're always on. You're always hypervigilant. You're always, and it messes up your sleep, and messes up, you know, your, your digestive system. It's not coincidental that during covid you know, a, a a a disease that preys on inflammation. You know, impacted. You know, especially black, black and brown people so much because we're already inflamed from the the pressures that we have in normal society, right? Mm-hmm. And especially with men, you talk about. You know, my my <laughs> my wife when she talks about this, and especially with women, she says, you know, holding your tears is like holding your pee. It is, it is not healthy, <laughs> why, why, it is toxic, why, why, why? it can affect your kidneys. <laughs> and reality, holding your tears is not healthy. Why? It affects your kidney, your liver, it affects your spirit, it affects your ability to love, it affects your ability to express, it, it, it affects your ability to be real, to open up. You know. And one of the most powerful things that I've been able to do with my children is to share with them what I'm really feeling Mm -hmm. and to cry with my children sometimes, you know, because they then saw it was okay. And to say, you know, I'm crying, but I'm okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not not gonna break down. I just need to release that, you know? And it's okay when you need to do that too, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And I think that interchange of, of love, of compassion, Of vulnerability is the healthy part of fatherhood. That we need to first of all, you know, among us men, we need to open spaces. And and you see it, man. You see it in sports all the time. Yeah. You know, when when these dudes are crying and hugging, and you know, I mean, you see it all the time. So it's not like we don't have it. It's just that we've been indoctrinated that there's only certain places that we can share that, right? And and so let, let me with this, uh, because you asked another question that I wanna I want I want to make sure we get to, is in especially in Latino culture, is this concept called machismo, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 again, let me just share that that you know the 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 people that came to conquest us or enslave us or take our land and all of that begin to create a narrative around us, a false narrative around us that then made us feel bad about who we were, right? So the concept of machismo, truly from an indigenous concept, there's 12 principles. And the principles are all honorable. First principle, honor women. Second, honor children. Be sensitive. Be compassionate. Be a man of your word. There's 12 principles, right? Mm -hmm. Now, what, what, what happened is the conquerors came and turned that upside down. Because they wanted the men to be like them, that were patriarchal and, and misogynistic and controlling mm-hmm. and sexualized and and uncaring and you know. So now you have so-called indigenous or Mexican men acting like that, and they say, "Look at they're being macho," and they, you know, bastardize that term. Mm-hmm. So now we think macho means to be, you know, this this uh, violent, you know patriarchal, right. controlling, uh, womanizing, uh, d- drinking fool that, you know, that's, that's not the true meaning of that. Right. But I can't even use that in my culture because if I say I'm macho, it's like, oh, you are. Oh, it's toxic masculinity. Right. right. And, and, and what, so what I use the term is I use the term of sacred manhood, mm-hmm. the sense of being sacred, which is truly who we are. You know, and and the duality lives with us too. You know, the the the, the trauma lives with us too. Mm-hmm. And but the reason why you gotta you gotta deal with the trauma, because if you don't deal with the trauma, it may take over the sacredness. Wow. So when I work with men domestically violent or drinking too much or addicted, I'm saying, so where did that trauma come from? You know, because now it's taking over your life, brother. It's taking over your sacredness. Mm-hmm. When you slap your kid like that, that wasn't your sacredness. That was your, that was your, that was, you know, your, your woundedness. Mm-hmm. Let me, t- let's talk about that. And if you're not willing to unpack it and let it go, it's going to grow. Mm-hmm. And, and now everyone will see you in your woundedness and think that's who you are. That's not who you really are. No, that's I'm what not. you become because of the woundedness. So, you know, within that, a lot of the work that we do, is, is, you know, re, uh, recovering for a lot of men the true sense of their sacredness and the true sense of what it means to be an honorable, you know, uh, Latino, honorable Mexican man, honorable African man. What does that truly mean? And see our grandfathers knew that, man. They know how to care themselves, you know. I remember walking to the store with my dad. And there was a, a a guy next to the liquor store. And you know, there's always a guy next to the liquor store. And he had you know, his bottle of wine right there. And he, he, was, he was kind of propped up there. And uh, his name was Mr. Joe, you know? And and we were walking by him, going to get something at the store. And my, my dad said, good morning, Mr. Joe. How you doing? And you can see this guy didn't go, how you doing, sir? How you doing? You know? And my dad said, hello, Mr. Joe. Hi, Mr. Joe. Now, he didn't say he didn't dismiss him as homeless. He did not dismiss him as, you know, he just he said good morning to him. Right. I remember one day we were walking several weeks later and Mr. Joe's hair was all up in the air. You know, you had a, a hard night, you know, and, and he was laying his eyes a little bit crossed and stuff like that. And as we were walking, I started to laugh. You know, I, I, laugh, I laugh. What's the matter with you? Look look at Mr. Joe. Look look at him. He looks funny. And my dad, hey, you don't be doing that. What's the matter with you? Fine. You don't know what he goes through. We could be like that. He's somebody's dad. He's somebody's son. Fine. You don't be talking about Peter. You could be like that someday.
1: Fine.
2: I apologize to him. You know, and, and it was a big lesson for my father that, you know, we all could be there. But still, within men that are wounded, that sometimes are disheveled, there's still the sacredness that remains. Yeah. And that's, you know, the search that I've been on with men, you know, my whole career, trying to get them to recover, to uncover, to discover again that sacredness so that they can be that for their children, because that's what, that's what, you know, their children and the community needs.
1: Yeah, that's the um, you know, our program that we run here in Atlanta. Our direct service program is under the umbrella of our Gentle Warriors Academy. Right, right, right. And I remember when I came up with that name Gentle Warriors, someone said to me, "You think guys want to be um involved in something that says gentle?" I'm like, "You've already dismissed the word warrior before I even got to the program." I was <laughs> like, it, it, you, you can. There is, there is, there is an element of being a warrior that is gentle. Like for the most, you know, dangerous, feared warrior there is. Yeah. For their children, you will see the gentleness. And if you don't have that gentleness then you don't really have anything tangible and important or honorable enough to teach your child, right? And so for our dads, we don't want them to forget the warrior in them. But we also don't want them to forget the gentle in them either. And gentle doesn't mean weak, right? right? And warrior doesn't mean dangerous. We got to work on both of those things with our fathers walking into their communities. When you look at, because I know that many folks have missed the boat um, in really understanding um, the nuances of working with African-American fathers, working with Latino fathers, and specifically Native American fathers, right? they haven't figured out how to incorporate this whole notion of spirituality and faith, Mm -hmm. right, which is part of our DNA. It really is part of our DNA. How do you infuse that into the whole healing part and helping these guys really understand being a dad? Being a dad, it's important for you to kind of understand what you believe in and what you have faith in.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, the whole sense of, uh, you know, we look at those four dimensions in terms of, of, of health and, and wholeness, which is physical, emotional, mental and spiritual, you know, and um, and, you know, spiritual is a very significant part. It's it's a role that for many of us, you know, our, our elders, our grandmas, uh, you know, taught us about and and made sure, you know, and, and even when we didn't do it, they did it for. They prayed for us. You know, my grandma would wake up at 430 in the morning. You know, every day and start her prayers. Mm. You know, she come to the room and, and bless us all up, you know, and not, not just me. I, you know, one of my, I mentioned my friend Tyrone would come over the house. You know, and and usually around lunchtime. He's like to come around lunchtime, right? Because <laughs> he knew my grandma cooked. <laughs> he said, Jerry, you want to play? I said, Man, you just want to you just come on because my grandma's gonna make lunch right now. No, no, I wanna play, boy. <laughs> he, he wasn't he wasn't smart, he wasn't dumb, you know. <laughs> and my grandma would come out, but get a right? He raised his hand like that. I don't know where he learned Spanish from, but he raised his hand. <laughs> and my grandma would call him Mico it means my son. But she took him, went in the house to eat. And she prayed with him too. You know, and 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 so then we'd go to his house, and you know uh, his grandma, Miss Mosley, call her Big Mama. She'd sit on the porch all the time, and every day when I'd go pick him up, she'd come up. She says, "Good morning, little Jerry." I said, "How you doing, Miss Mosley?" Oh, I'm good. Come here, baby. Bless you, child. Bless you, baby. I'm gonna pray for you today. You're gonna do good in school." You know, and and you know, to me, um, those grandmas. If it wasn't for those prayers, I mean I know I got through some stuff. You know, mm-hmm. all of us got through some stuff, and we say, dang, how do I get out of this? How do okay. I get through this? Well, you know, the cops to let me go. I mean you know it, it, it wasn't because I was slick. It wasn't because, you know, I'm, you know, no, it was because some grandma's prayers. Mm-hmm. Some people were praying for us to get through because you and I could be locked up. Wow. You and I could, you know, be in a whole different situation, but somebody. Had faith in us wow. and breathed into us the 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 their dreams, right? And and so what grandmas and grandpas and what what many our cultures do is is teach us how to breathe into ourselves that sacredness. And you know another you know I mentioned I used to go to we used to go to church on Sunday. And I remember, um, you know, uh, again, my best friend, we always to hang out, Tyrone, and, and I, I, I had a new, uh, a new basketball, right? And I said, hey, Tyrone, hey, come over after church and we'll, we'll play. I got a new basketball. He's, he said, I can't come over today. I said, why? I got to go to church. I know. I don't know, but come after church. No, no, we don't come back till night. I said, what? <laughs> we go to church till night. I said, till night? Well, you got to go to church all day, all night for, dude. What's, what's up, man? Well, I don't know. We just go to church all till night. And I, <laughs> and I could not understand that, you know, till much later, you know, this this elder shared to me, says, you know, uh, Brother Jerry, um, at that time, that was the only safe time for us where wow. we could go in a place. But we knew people loved us. We knew people cared for us, and we had to inoculate ourselves up that whole day, mm. so we could get through the rest of the week. Wow, wow! Right. You know, and, and then I understood. Then I totally understood. Yeah. Because if if that's the only day you feel whole and welcomed and seen and blessed, right? You gonna stay all day, right? You gonna stay all day, yeah. and then when you don't feel good. You got to remember those times. And somebody said I was a blessing. Somebody said I'm gonna do good. Somebody said, you know, that's that spirituality. That's that spirit.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know that that our grandmas knew about. Mm-hmm. That we, you know, we. I don't go to church, man. It's boring, you know. But yeah. but you know, uh, yeah. you know, when we get out of some trouble, she's just like, hey, thank you, God. I, you know? <laughs> I mean, I remember rolling down the street after a party. I've been drinking too much. I'm rolling down the street and I see a cop behind me. And and what do you do when a cop? uh, You begin to pray, please
1: God. That works,
2: right? (laughs) I promise, I go to church. You know, I mean, we get holy all of a sudden, you know. Uh, But it's (laughs) it's it's like exercise. Right. If if you have that as a practice, then it comes to you like that. Mm -hmm. If you don't, you know, if you don't, then you're going to struggle. And I'm not I'm not talking about any particular religion. I'm just saying belief, prayer. uh, You know. wholeness, that sense of faith, you know, in yourself, in your people, in the goodness of the world, because there's a lot of other side out here that would overtake you, make you pessimistic, make you not want to live, make you want to act ugly, you know, so that other side is really important to have as a resource, but also as a grounding point for, you know, for your life.
1: Man, Jerry, there's so many... So many spaces, i wrote down a couple of things to bring you back and talk about. um, Specifically, you know, this nuance of working with Latino uh, fathers. I wanna dig and dive into that um, a little more. Um, I also want to talk a little more about the um, spiritual and faith component of this work. Um, Because we just I I think we just missed the boat, you know, on that we we missed the boat on how do we infuse this whole notion of making sure, you know, that the fathers that we're talking about like we have a module in one of our curriculums on morals and values. And, you know, and to your point about not having a religious conversation, it's not a religious conversation. Yeah. It's, what are your guide rails? Like what serves as your moral boundaries? How far will you go? How far won't you go? What do you value in life? What do you prioritize in your life? Those those things are important. Um, what do you believe in? Right. And that's a question that I ask, because if I know what you believe in, that tells me something about you. Mm-hmm. Right, it's, 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 it's. I remember growing up, you know. Um, um my mother's from North Carolina, and I used to, um, from six years old to about 13 or 14 years old, my mother put me on a Greyhound bus in New York City and she sent me to North Carolina to live with my uncle who had a 250 acre farm and they, mm-hmm. um. And they harvest tobacco and a bunch of other stuff. So he was a true farmer. Yeah. Um, and in every summer, back and forth, back and forth. And I remember after a little older, um my mother and I went down there and we went into the Piggly Wiggly. I don't know if they had Pigley yeah. Wiggly on the yeah, West yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we're walking in and this and I'm standing somewhere, and this lady comes up to me and she goes, she goes, oh, are you a Braswell? And I said, yes. Yeah. She goes, are oh, you can't She started asking me questions like, are oh, you can? I was like, yeah. She goes, I know what you look just like. You look just like one of them Braswell boys. <laughs> and I just kind of like thought, I was like, wow, I was telling my mother what's up. She was like, you know, that's, you know, when yeah. I grew up people knew you by who you were attached to so your name told them something about you it told them about who raised you what values you were raised on what morals you were raised on what you believe in they don't have to know a whole lot about you as an individual if they know who you're attached to right right well you know and and i think how that connects to spirituality
2: is we need to understand that um in this society, this Western society, this, this uh, society that tried to destroy, conquer, and, and debilitate who we were from a cultural standpoint, mm-hmm. is the value that, that this society then began to embed is individuality. You mm-hmm. are you. You're just an individual by yourself, pull yourself from your bootstraps. You got to do it on your own. Don't worry about nobody else, right? And, and, and if they isolate you that way, Right then, it's easy to control you and to to you know uh, indoctrinate you and mm-hmm. do it. Now, if I know I'm connected to my ancestors, and my ancestors were powerful, and they had dreams, and they're praying for me, and I'm connected con- connected to my grandmother, and I'm connected to my family, my community, and not only that, I'm responsible because whatever I do is going to affect them. Right. I carry myself a whole different way. So when people say you ain't nothing, well, yeah, what do you mean I ain't nothing? <laughs> yes, I am. You know, or you getting a D in, in algebra? Yeah, I know, but I don't know algebra. But I know some stuff. I'm connected. So you know, I mean, it 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 really um, creates a whole different sense of who you are. But the society wants to break us down and break us apart. And even culturally, you know, black, brown wants to make us different and wants to make us that, you know, that uh, that we're, you know, fighting for the same monies. And they'll do that. They'll put funds in front of us and say, Mm -hmm. you know, there's certain structural things that are going on. But, you know, when when I gather in circle with men from different cultures and I ask, you know, uh, a Native brother to pray, Whatever way you want to do, just ground us in whatever way you ground yourself, and and you know he he uses a traditional song, native song, then I had the African American brother, and and he's he's then sharing a, a Christian spiritual, mm-hmm. right, and 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 then you know one of us will share. You know, it 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 brings a sense of spirit connectedness. I don't care what religion or what way you do it. You know, it's, it's a set, you know, and it's interesting because, you know, we we push back, society push back against that, but, you know, but you can do mindful meditation, though. It's okay to, you know, it's like, what? <laughs> isn't that a sense of invoking spirit, invoking, I mean, isn't that a, you know, but there's certain ways that are okay. So what I'm saying is I ain't half-stepping. I, I, I'm not half-stepping. This is who we are. This is what men need. This is what our families need. And this is what we need to teach our children. Right. That I, I need to tell my kids you know, you have so many people around you. And I want you to know, and you know, I got kids, my kids are grown. One's in Oregon, one's in Arizona, the other one's here. And, and they need to know, I pray for you every day. You need to know that your daddy spirit <laughs> is with you every day. Right. right? And anytime you need anything, you just call my name. You just you just think about me. My spirit's gonna be there, right there with you, and, and help you, and guide you, and comfort you. And then you can you can also text me or you know on the cell <laughs> phone. Too, but, but but you know, yeah, yeah. but just know that. Just know that because here's the here's the opposite part of that. Isolation is the number one risk factor for mental illness, suicide, mm-hmm. substance, abuse, all of those things, mm-hmm. right? So that sense of interconnectedness and the spirit helps to do that.
1: Wow. Jerry, tell people how they can get in touch with you.
2: Um, Well, you can uh, go on my website, uh, J-E-R-R-Y-T-E-L-L-O.com. Also, National Compadres Network, you can look us up. Um, We also have a podcast called Healing Generations, if you want to check that out. and we bring different people on. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to bring you on so that you can uh, share some of, some of that knowledge too. And, but um, yeah, that, that's the way. And, and you know, appreciate you, brother. I mean, you've always been a leader in our community, and you know, you are one of those honorable, sacred men that, uh, that you know, um, that becomes a guiding light for so many. I want to thank you for everything you do and that you've done for so many, and for being a, a really close brother and close friend to me you know, over the years, and we're still in it, man. we're still in yeah,
1: it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, which reminds me of the other subject matter. I have to bring you back on because I sat on you guys last webinar um, on Babas yes. and grandparents. And man, I was sitting here and I was like, this is such an awesome conversation. And I was like, I got to bring them into my space so that we yeah. can have that conversation um, about the tra- our transition, right? You know, our transition from being fathers to being a father to our fathers and the father not only forward, right? Being fathers to our grandchildren, but actually being caretakers for our fathers, right? Because we don't talk a lot about that Um, being caretakers of our parents who are getting older and then raising our children because we know at some point they're going to have to be caretakers of us right and so we got to get this thing right so jerry thank you so much for joining i am dad podcast i'm your host kenneth braswell and we'll see you next sunday same place same time
0: thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us you've been listening to i am dad podcast We hope that you have been informed, encouraged you to think, or even inspired your heart for the love of dads. The conversation does not end here. Come back and join us next week. Same time, same place. Or you can continue the dialogue on our I Am Dad Facebook page. We also invite you to listen to past episodes, learn more about us, and keep up with special activities by visiting IAmDadPodcast.com. That's IAmDadPodcast.com. Until next time, I leave you with this reminder of manhood. From 1 Corinthians, chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Because of this reminder, I will always understand that I am dad, Period.